You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Ballroom dancing with over 100 youth on a Saturday morning is a passion our next speaker and his wife turned into a side business and have incorporated into their already very busy lives. Who knew a seminary and institute teacher would have so many hidden talents? This is Michelle Burke, and you are listening to the I Am In podcast. Today's speaker, Trevor Dougal, and his wife are the parents of five awesome kids ranging in age from 11 to 8 months. Brother Dougal has taught seminary and institute classes for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints all over the Treasure Valley. In addition to teaching youth and young adults, he and his wife run two other businesses. The first is a youth ballroom dance program called Breakaway Ballroom. The second is a shoe business for children called Joyful Nest. Anytime we get to hear from Trevor Dougal is quite a treat. We are so grateful to hear from him today. Okay, I have to, I have to say something because I know she'll rewatch this. And I should have told you beforehand, her name is Chantal. And she murders for less. No, just kidding. She actually will, she'll respond to anything, but she's like, my name has so many different names. It's so hard. Her mom is German and gave her a random French name, Chantal Marie. So um, we don't know why. Um, so I am excited to share. Um, I'll share a little bit about uh, a lot of different things today. Um, but I hope as you listen to me, you don't listen to me because I'm kind of boring. But the Holy Ghost isn't. Um, the Holy Ghost teaches in ways that uh, I am not capable of doing. Um, and so because of that, I'll share a little bit more about my life. My wife um, thought we weren't busy enough, and so she bought another business, actually. Um, she didn't mention that, called Joyful Nest. We also share little, or sell little baby shoes. I don't know why, but she did. Um, so um, that being said, um, I was asked specifically to share with you two things. Number one, my life story. And so when I was a baby, no, we won't go back that far. Let's go to high school. Yeah, high school's not that far. No, you're like, no, don't go to high school. Um, let's go to high school for a minute. Okay, let's think. I could share with you high school. High school was weird times. And, and then we bypassed it. Uh, in high school, I stepped on a pencil. That was one story. I won't share it with you. It was a bad story. I fell off a 25-foot cliff, face first in scouting, all the good things that we learned from scouting. Um, and was semi-paralyzed for a few days. Um, but one of the stories that I remember from high school, uh, and I am going to share it with you. Um, when I was in scouting, this is something I learned. We were on this, we were on this uh, hike, and we went out and we hiked over to the edge of this ledge. And uh, this is something that has stood out with me for a long time. We, we climbed up to the top of this ledge, and we thought, let's jump. At the edge, there was this lake, and we, we all thought we were... We were great scouts and great swimmers, and I wasn't a great swimmer and probably not a great scout. But um, I, I went there, and I jumped off the edge, and I started looking around, and I realized there was nowhere to climb out. 
And so we're sitting there treading water, and as we're treading water, uh, the scouts say, well, let's just swim over there. It's only like, it's only like 800 meters or so. And uh, me, being the doggy paddle style of swimmer, um, starts, to, starts to go, and as I start to swim out into the water, um, I get a little ways out there, and all of a sudden my head kicks in, and my head says, you're going to drown. And, and, and I, I, like I start to freak out. And I, I start swimming a little bit more, and it's like, you can't make it. You're a terrible swimmer. And, and I remember I kept having these feelings of like, this is it. And I got out about halfway, and as I was out there, I started treading water. And, and I put my head back, and I, I just started thinking, this is it. This is the end of your life, right? You're going to die in scouting. Of, of all the places, before you get to do anything fun and exciting, you're going to die in scouting. And uh, as I sat there treading water, and my head was back, um, I, I just had this thought, just look at the land. Just look at where you're going. And, and so I, I pointed my head towards the land and I just said, okay, I'm, I'm just going to keep swimming. And so I would swim for a little bit and then I'd stop and I'd, I, I'd tread water for a little bit. And then I'd swim for a little bit and I'd stop and I'd tread water for a little bit. And, and I just kept doing that. And as I kept getting just a tiny bit closer to the land, I, I started to feel a lot more comfort. That, that little voice in the back of my head that kept saying, you're going to drown you're going to die today. Um, it, it just slowly started going away. And, and I, I learned something from this experience. You don't always need to be swimming. Sometimes you're going to tread water, and that's okay. It's enough to keep your head above water. Um, and, and so today, as I share with you a little bit about my story, um, I hope you know there have been times in my life when I've swam, and there have been times in my life where I have treaded water. Um, there's been times in my life when when maybe I thought I was going to sink and there was nothing left. And uh, I'll, share, I'll share as much as I need to, but as little as I need to at the same time. And uh, I hope you understand that. Um, so I'll, I'll begin with becoming a seminary teacher. Um, I started off, I've taught in, I think it's seven, eight schools now in 11 years. I screw up kids one place and they ship me off to the next one. So um, in fact, in my first two years, I taught at four different schools. And uh, I, I, I went all around, and, but before I became a seminary teacher, I was teaching at Valley View High School, and, uh, and I was doing my student teaching, and it was, it was rough. If anyone's ever done that, it's, it's hard. Um, but I went through the student teaching year. Back then, it was two full years, and so I went two full years in to this program and got to the very end, and I thought, I'm doing so well. Everything is going so well. And I get this phone call from Chris Nordfeldt. Um, he was the, he was the uh, teacher at that time, and he said, Brother Dougal, it's a no. We're not going to hire you to teach seminary. And uh, I, was, I was seriously, I've never been so upset with the Lord uh, before in my life. I remember driving down the road, and I'm sure people thought I was nuts. I was like screaming in my car. I'm like, you told me to do this, and all of a sudden... And I, and, and, and as I did that, I was like, I'm calling my wife. I call my wife. And, and can I tell you, at this point in our life, it, it is rough. Um, we have two children under the age of 18 months. And the one of them has um, acid reflux and is sick and yelling and screaming and crying all the time and is never peaceful. And so nothing is peaceful. And we just put all of our eggs in one basket and said, we're getting hired into seminary, so it's okay. It doesn't matter. And so I get done screaming and I pick up my phone and I call my wife and I'm like, Chantal, listen. And she could already tell. I was like, I didn't get hired. 
And uh, she just sat there, and it was totally silent. And as it was totally silent, I, I thought to myself, what's she going to say next? Because my wife, she's so good. Um, she always says the right thing. Um, and she sat there, and she just said, I think it's going to be all right. And I hung up the phone, and I'm in my head again. I'm like, it's not going to be all right. Like, this isn't going to work out. I just, I gave up two years for everything I have ever wanted. And I did everything they asked me to, and I thought I did a really good job, and it's not going to work out. And so I got home, and I remember getting home. Um, I picture this in my head. My wife is sitting there in the rocking chair with Benson, and she's rocking slowly. And I think she did that on purpose because the baby was quiet, so I had to be quiet. I'm not usually quiet. Um, and so I came into this room and I sat there and I said, Chantal, like it, it's not going to work out. And I remember her just sitting there saying, it will. I know it will. And, and at that moment, it was one of those questions. Do I trust Heavenly Father's plan for me or do I trust my plan for me? My plan was such an easy route. I had this idea of what life should look like and it, and it was perfect. I was going to get married. I was going to have all these wonderful kids that never yelled or cried or spit up or whatever else they did. Um, I was going to have the job of my dreams. I was going to do everything. And, and I just pictured it going over so flawlessly. And then I got this huge no. And I remember going through my head and like thinking of all the teachers that I thought should retire at that time. And, and so I'm like naming them off in my head. I'm like, you should be done. Like, just quit right now. There should be this job open for me. I know it's going to work out. Um, and they came back, and the two teachers that I were working with, uh, out of five of them, got hired. And one of them was my, was my dear friend. And, and I was so happy for him. But at the same time, um, I just kept questioning why Heavenly Father would want me to feel this way. And so uh, I, I kept going. They asked me, do you want to keep teaching out the rest of the year? And I said, sure. I'll, I'll do it. I love these kids. That's why I do it. And so I kept teaching um, for the rest of the year. And uh, about near the end of the year, I get this phone call from Brother Nordfeld. We want to come and watch you again. We feel like, we just feel like it's right. Um, and so Brother Nordfeld comes in and he says, we're going to invite the two head guys from Utah. They're switching right now. And we're going to invite the two head guys. And they're going to watch you via Zoom. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. I'm getting my chance. I, my wife wasn't wrong. The spirit testifies to good things. And, and so... Um, as that happened, I show up that day and I, I start to teach and literally, it is one of the coolest lessons I have ever taught in my life. I've got little mini figs and everything and we're throwing things at them and, and the lesson, all the kids at the end were like, it was just power. Like I, I can't even explain, it was just power. And I finished the lesson and I'm so excited and I walk up to Brother Nordfelt and he says to me, the internet went down in the first five minutes and we couldn't fix it. And they missed everything. And he said, that was the best lesson I have ever seen you taught or teach. There we go. That's my Valley View upbringing right there. Um, that was the, that was the, the best like, lesson we, we've ever seen. And, and I walked out that day again thinking, why does Heavenly Father not care? Why doesn't He care about my situation? I've had so many promptings. I've had so many thoughts. I've had so many feelings of what it should look like. And as I walked out that door today, um, I was told you will not be receiving the uh, position that we were thinking about because we didn't get to see enough of your teaching. 
Um, and, and so they, they left again, and at the end of the year, they said, you're done, Have, go find another job. And so I, I've worked in mental health for a, a long time before that. And so working in mental health, I was, I was very qualified, and I put in about 60 applications, and none of them called me back. And one by one, they just kept saying, like even for simple jobs, I was like, I can do this. And finally, one of them called me back, um, and at the same time, I got called in by my stake president, and he said, Brother Dougal, I don't know why. We need to split the early morning seminary class, and we feel like you are the man. And that was a dagger to my heart. Like, I know they thought this is inspiration, but I felt like the Lord was like, take this. Like, you can't teach full time, but you can teach early morning, and so this is what we're going to... And I didn't realize at the moment, um, I didn't realize what Heavenly Father was doing. And uh, I am eternally grateful that Heavenly Father knows more than me. I am so grateful that Heavenly Father understands these things far better than I, I do. Um, and, and so at that time, um, I, I went in and I started teaching early morning, and I finally got an interview to be a manager of a mental health company. And I got this interview, and they flew the person down from, I think it was Denver or Dallas or somewhere, um, all the way down to meet me, and we sat and we talked, and it went so well. And it finished, and they said, after the meeting was over, they stood up and they said, wait, can you promise us five years? And I, I thought to myself, I could lie to them and say yes. But I said to them, no, I just feel if a position opens for seminary, I will take it. And they said to me, that's the wrong answer. And then walked out of the door and called me back uh, real quick after that and said, sorry, um, you didn't get the job, and my wife and I just went back and forth. We're like, we, we need money. We bought a house um, right out of college. Um, we, we need money. What do we do? And uh, at this time, the only money that was coming in was from ballroom. Um, we, we, we coach ballroom dance teams, and so we had two teams, and they had about 12, 12 people on them at the time. And so we were, we were surviving at the very bare minimum um, just to get by. And I remember my first birthday, my my first birthday, we got socks. That was all I got because that's all we could afford. Um, and so we're surviving. We're barely getting by. And the, I just turned down the one job that I thought I would be so qualified for. And I went into my early morning class and I started teaching and I taught and I taught and I taught. And I finally called Brother Nordfelt back and I said, Brother Nordfelt, please give me one more shot. Please don't give up on me. Please have some faith that I, I could be a teacher. And uh, Brother Nordfelt said, okay, listen, this is your last chance. I will be there. I will be there tomorrow morning, and I will watch you one last time. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to create the best lesson that has ever been done. And so I start going, and I start preparing, and I start, as this happens, I get a call from Brother Nordfelt, and he says, Brother Dougal, we need to talk. Um, I'm going to be at your house. And he said, what time are you going to be there? And I said, I don't get home till 10 o'clock tonight. And he said, I will be standing on your doorstep. And you know what that means, right? When they come at 10 o'clock at night, it means, it means business. At that moment, it's, it's done. And, and, and so I'm waiting and he comes in and for about an hour, he just says, what did you love about it? What did you like? Um, everything else. And I, I sat and I told him and I just had my head hung. Um, but I put on a smile because that's what we do um, as people. Um, we, we pretend so often that everything's okay, even when it's not. And, and so I put on a smile and I said, everything's okay, it's fine, I trust in the Lord, Heavenly Father, and I just kind of 
resigned myself to believe that this was the plan. And uh, as I did that, um, Brother Nordfeld said, listen, um, there's a teacher that is going to pass away. And uh, you're going to take his spot. And uh, we have no idea why you are still here. But we are so grateful for your background in mental health. And we are so grateful that you were willing to fight. And we are so grateful that you were willing to put yourself in that position to feel awkward and, and, and kind of broken and kind of alone for a, a long time. Um, and he said, you're, you're going to take this position over. And uh, at the time, um, he, he hasn't passed away yet, um, but you, you'll be teaching um, those kids um, that he loves dearly. Would you teach them with all the love you can of the Savior? And I remember at that moment, I go back to some inspiration I had received earlier. And I share this with you. Um, I, I hope you understand the significance of this, of this moment. About two months earlier, as I was sitting there contemplating why I should continue on fighting for what I, I, I really felt inspired to do, this thought, in, in greater words than I've ever heard, came to my head, he needs more time. And this was the first time that I said to myself, I don't want to be a teacher anymore. It's not worth it to me. I, I don't want someone else to be put in that position that I, I, get, this, I get this job. I, I don't want to be put in this position. That, uh, and as the next two months went on, can I just tell you this? Guys, Heavenly Father assured me of some things. Um, some incredible things about the atonement of Jesus Christ some incredible things about what this life was about, um, the purpose of getting through it. And, and so at that time, um, I, I took over that job and I, I taught the rest of that year and it was, it was amazing. And then I got moved around, moved around, moved around. Um, and, and I've gone all over the place and now I'm here at the Institute, which I, um, I, I love teaching. Um, but as this is happening, everything's good. But every time I got moved, I questioned why. Um, I've been moved two times in the middle of a year. Uh, my last time was from Middleton. Um, in the middle of the year, I got moved uh, away um, to Ridgeview, and I, I jumped into this new school and this new program, and, and uh, it was so hard. And, uh, but it was one of those moments that I recognized all of the things in my life have led me up to the point, and not the good things. We spend a lot of time as members of the church thinking faith is like when good things work out. But, but I realized through all these things that I had been through, real faith is what a person does when it doesn't work the way they want it to. Real faith is what you do when your prayers aren't answered, not when they are. That's, that's love, that's gratitude, that's charity. But real faith is what a person does when they feel that their prayers are not being answered or that the things that they've been promised are not being fulfilled. And then in those moments as they act upon what they know is correct, Heavenly Father has this way of reminding them over and over again of the little tiny things. And he brings you back to those tender mercies. In fact, guys, I'd invite you to think about this. Um, I don't know. I used to think of trials as like misery. But now I see the miracle in all of them. I don't know why the Lord um, seems fit to allow trials to become miracles, but I, I do absolutely know the greatest growth that I have ever had in my life was in the greatest amount of darkness. 
because it was in those moments that it was not hard to recognize where the light was. It was just hard to trust that that light had something to save me with. But when I had enough faith to go towards that light, um, the closer I got, the more that I saw things as they really were and not as I wanted them to be. And Heavenly Father opened my eyes to some things that I am eternally grateful. Uh, I look back now and I am so grateful. I am so grateful that Heavenly Father did not hand me a position early in seminary because I would not have learned or experienced the incredible things I got to experience without that. Um, going along, Brother Howe from Utah, he came down one day and he, and he shared some things. And I'll just share this with you. He said, every time they put our pictures in this thing, which I'm like, Ugh. okay, put our pictures in this thing. Um, and they go through it. And he's like, every time I passed by your face, I just looked at it and I said, this guy will get hired. And he said, every time we had these positions open, I just said, this guy will get hired. This guy will get hired. He didn't know me from anyone else, but he just felt. And then every time he finished, he said, I just finished and your picture was still in the book. And up until this moment, I never understood why. At this moment, I am absolutely assured that Heavenly Father knows. Heavenly Father knows why you're here at this time. Um, uh, I, I share that, and I, I hope you know. Um, I hope as I share these tender things, guys, I hope you look at your own lives. I hope you look back on your trials here for a minute. I hope you look at the struggles that you're going through right now and you change them just a little bit. Change them from thinking that maybe God doesn't know you or he doesn't love you or he doesn't care about your situation. Change them and ask yourself, why might Heavenly Father put me in this situation? Why might Heavenly Father love me enough to let me struggle? I'll share a little bit about my children. Um, this will go into, back into my business stuff. I have five children. Um, they're all adorable. Um, Brinley's my oldest. She's 11, and she's really tall and um, awesome. She's one of my little ballroom dancers. My next son, uh, Benson, really good, was really sick uh, for a long time, about 18 months of his life, um, screaming, crying, all sorts of things. Then comes Maxwell. Maxwell, he's Maxwell, okay? Um, Maxwell is the destroyer of all things. He used our, our uh, dishwasher as a trampoline. And so he, he destroys lots. We love him. He's so fun. But at about nine months, he started passing out, and he passed out every day, sometimes up to 10 times, um, up until about three years old. He would just up and pass out, and we have no idea why. Um, I think it was his temperament. He got it from his mom. Okay. Um, just kidding. Not really. She's so holy. But um, um, he, he would just pass out, and he'd fall over on the floor, and it would be so hard. Um, to deal with that. And then we had uh, Jaylee, and Jaylee's so great. Um, she's just a fun little, uh, a fun little girl. And uh, we had these four kids, and we decided we are done. Heavenly Father has done a good thing in our life. We are done. We've accomplished everything that we would like to. And uh, so as he did this, um, we said, we're doing good. We've got a job. We've got money coming in. We're running a ballroom program. Right now, our ballroom program that was little is now about 125 kids. Um, every week and we've got another business and we're busy all the time and we've got callings that keep us real busy and so we thought to ourselves this is joy and this is what Heavenly Father wants for us and, and so we were so excited and so five years later uh, my youngest daughter um, is about five years my wife says 
let's get rid of all of the baby everything. And so we get rid of everything. We get rid of all of it because our house is finally cleanly, okay? Um, and so we get rid of all these things. And as we get rid of all these things, um, we are so excited because Heavenly Father has told us we're good at four. And then along comes number five. And uh, along comes number five, and, and she's our little Lucy, and she's um, a lot, uh, a lot uh, littler than the rest of them. And uh, along comes number five. And I'll, I'll share with you a little bit about her life and our life and, and how our life has changed because of her. Um, Lucy, um, Lucy is a special miracle. Um, Lucy is a special miracle. Lucy, um, she, uh, when we found out that she was being born, um, we went in to get our first ultrasound. And when we finished our first ultrasound, um, the doctor came out and, and looked and said, oh, we're going we're gonna to get a second thing. We think Lucy has um, some choroid plexus, which we were used to because Benson had them as well. And so I'm sitting there thinking, it's, it's cool. It's good. It's all right. And then the next doctor comes in and the next doctor looks and, and, and says, Mm, we're going we're gonna to get another look by a better doctor. We, we need you to go to Boise, and, and we're going to send you in to, to go to this other doctor. And my wife, okay, at this time, my heart is like beating out of my chest. I'm like, what is going on? And my wife is just so calm. And, and she, is, she is just so calm. I don't know if on the inside um, she was different, but I remember looking at her face, and I just thought, this lady, she knows something I don't know. And uh, so we go in to get the ultrasound, uh, the next ultrasound, and they start doing this ultrasound. And as they do, um, they tell us our little Lucy is missing a significant portion of her brain and uh, that she was going to be born with some really bad things. And uh, over the next uh, six months, they just told us of all the bad things. It was, it was so hard. And COVID is happening right then. And so half of the appointments, I don't even get to go in with my wife. And so every time we get this hard information, my wife is sitting there alone in this tiny little room all by herself, completely alone. And uh, as she sits there, she would get told something and then she would call me and just cry. And uh, as she would cry, I would sit there and I, I don't know what else to say. I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then I'd hang up the phone and I would just fall because I thought, Heavenly Father, this isn't what you want for us. You want something so much. We had everything in alignment. We would do whatever it was that you asked us to do at this moment, but not this. And uh, I, I remember they, they would come through and they would look at the different scans and they would see the different things and they would, they would ask uh, us questions. And, and every question that they asked, we just went back to, this is going to be real bad, isn't it? And uh, they said, yeah, your daughter will have something called Dandy Walker syndrome. And there's a likelihood she will be born with a lot of really, really hard things to deal with in her life. And she won't move and she won't talk and she probably won't breathe or eat or do any of those things. And, and we, we heard this and, and then came the day of the delivery and the delivery happened and, and Lucy was born and she was, she's so beautiful. Um, literally, she's so beautiful. Um, Lucy was born, and, and she came out, and we, we got whisked down to the NICU, and we walked. Uh, I got to go down there. My wife didn't. And, and as we walked into the NICU, um, they started taking scans, and the doctor came out. 
And he said, I am so sorry. It is much worse than we had thought. And we had been praying and fasting that it would be much better. And uh, he said, it, it, it is so much worse than I thought. Your daughter has, has something called pontocerebellar hypoplasia, which means she's missing about 90% of her cerebellum and her pons. I don't if you guys know the brain. I, I, psychology, my study of the brain was something that I loved, which has, has been a tender mercy to me in itself. Um, her pons were smaller and her brainstem was, was smaller. And uh, so they said, we, we don't know what to tell you, but it's going to look pretty bad. And so that night I had to go home because of COVID. I couldn't even stay. I went home and uh, that night we had a flood in the house and our entire floor flooded. And I spent the entire night cleaning up this flood. And I, I call my wife and, and she's like, how are things? And I'm like, good. <laughs> Everything's good. Don't worry about anything. Um, she found out. Um, I was going to say, I don't know how she can tell. She can always tell. Um, but that next morning, um, I get a phone call, and my wife says, you need to get to the hospital now. Um, Lucy's probably going to pass away today. And uh, she has some things that they're looking at, and they just kept poking my little girl, which I hated. I hated so much every minute of that. But they would poke her, and she would just cry for a second and then smile. Well, she didn't smile, but she would be happy. Babies don't smile. That'd be weird. Okay. Um, but but she, would be, she would just be so content, and she would just sit there, and we would watch her, and we're like, this is so different. Like, she should cry more than that. I'm crying more than that. Um, and, and as this occurred, um, as this occurred time and time again, I just kept, I, I remember driving to the, to the hospital that day, and I was driving down the freeway of Boise, probably about 110 in my Prius, okay? Um, I was going much quicker than I should have been going. And as I was driving, I, uh, the tears were just welling in my eyes. And I was passing some people and they looked at me and you could tell they were cursing my name and yelling. And others looked at me and they just thought, oh man, something's going on in this person's life. And they'd pull over to the side and, and le let me go by. And I drove and I learned something from that experience. Guys, you never know what's going on in someone's life. You're never sure. And I was so eternally grateful for the people that just said, hey, he's having a bad day. We're going we're gonna to move out of his way and, and let him get down to where he needs to go. And I love those people and the, the kindness that they shared with me that day, having no idea, they'll probably never know. They will never know what their kindness meant, but it meant eternity to me. And so I got to the hospital that day and we, we gave her a blessing and, and I called my stake president and I said, hey, can I give her a name and a blessing? And the stake president said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And uh, I, I, I kept waiting, and I just kept waiting. And I'm like, you, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I believe that she will be okay. And, and uh, at the end of the day, the levels of, of acid um, in her body went down, and they said, everything's doing so well. And we were like so excited. And I said, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And I just kept thinking that in the back of my mind. I'm going to wait. And so I just kept waiting and I just kept waiting. And finally, our little daughter got to come home. And uh, our little Lucy has become the light of everything. Um, she is our motto. She is our purpose. She is our everything right now. Um, and because of that, guys, for, for about three days, I, I might say, I tasted eternity. There was nothing like it. I loved my wife in those three days more than I have ever loved her. 
and, and I really love my wife. But in those three days, I saw past any, any flaw that I had ever seen in her was just gone. And anything that I had ever thought about my children, the struggles that we had been through, the bouncing, the trampoline of my, the destruction of my home, the everything, all of a sudden for three days, it was completely wiped out. And the only thing that mattered in those three days was my family. And, and for a little bit of a glimpse, I got to see eternity. And there was absolutely nothing cooler in this world than recognizing what matters and what doesn't. Because some things matter, and some things don't. And the moment a person understands how to decipher which does and which doesn't, that person puts themselves in a place that revelation is from the Lord and not from their own personal experiences or desires. I remember in all these stories um, thinking, I know what God wants, and this is what he wants for me. And from the back of my head, I gave everything the best case scenario and said, obviously, Heavenly Father wants what is best for me. And what is best for me is what is mortally, momentarily best right in this very second. And Heavenly Father, I'm sure, looked down and smiled and maybe even laughed a little bit in my ideas and said, if only you knew what was really best for you. If only you really trusted in what was really best for you. Then, then you would see at this time that this moment is what is best for you. Guys, in nine months, my life has changed drastically. Every day I wake up and I am so excited to see my little girl. Every day, it, like even as she cries, I know it's hard sometimes, but it doesn't even matter because I'm thankful that she cries. I'm thankful that she, she struggles. I'm, I'm thankful that she has hard days. I'm thankful. And, and even if in the moment I'm not, sometimes I'm like, Shanta, I'll take her. Um, even after doing that, the moment I walk out of that room, I'm like, I want to hold her again. I want to be there again. The way that I see my kids, the way that I see everything. Now through this, um, I, I ask you, how does, the Lord, how does the Lord lead a person? Um, if I go back, um, I could go back to, the, to any point in my life and recognize those failures were for a purpose. All of them. I am eternally grateful that Heavenly Father, well, I, I put it this way. I think for a large point of my life, I put this box around the atonement of Christ. And I said, this is what Christ is capable of doing. When it came to sin, when it came to prayers, when it came to anything, I put this box around the atonement and I said, this is what Christ, and I'll be honest, I gave it a pretty big box. And I said, Christ is capable of doing so much, but then I limited. I limited the atonement of Jesus Christ and I said, he is capable of doing so many incredible things. And then I limited it to what he could do in my own life. And I said, I see all these cool things and, and, and then I made a mistake or I made two or I made seven or I made 20 and I was like, Heavenly Father must hate me because this is who I am and this is what I've done. And I put this box around it that said, oh, you can't grow, you're stuck. This is who you are. And, and it wasn't until I recognized, guys, these trials were purposeful. These struggles were purposeful. They have eternally changed my understanding of who Christ is. 
of what Christ is capable of doing, of how he can bless lives. Can I, I give you an invitation? I hope you, I hope you learn from my experience, but I hope you also learn from your own. I don't wish perfect days on any of you. Don't take that wrong. I like you. I hope you have good days. I hope you have happy days. I hope you have um, days of growth, but I don't wish perfect days on, on any of you because in perfect days, we are content. And we're living in a world right now where spirit is far too often, like spirit and comfortability are far too often combined. And if I'm comfortable, that's when I'm feeling the spirit. And when I'm not comfortable, that's when I'm not. And that's not really how the Spirit works. Sometimes it's in the most uncomfortable, darkest, hardest parts of your life that you will recognize what you really believe. And when you trust in that, um, I, I, I just give you a few verses before I finish um, and give you a moment for some questions. There's two verses that have, have changed my life. There's a lot of verses. My, my seminary and institute students are all probably annoyed with me saying, this is my favorite verse. Uh, but I'll tell you this, in the moment, it is. Um, and right now, there have been two verses that have changed my life. John uh, 3, 16. You all know that verse, right? You've probably said it. You've watched it on billboard signs at football games and all the other things. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then we skip the next verse, which is my favorite. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Guys, the gospel is not about condemnation for anyone. The gospel is about all that you can become through the atonement without limiting it to what you think Christ is capable of doing in your life. The hard part about that is Satan throws so many things there was a time in my life when I recognized sin isn't what I think it is. I used to think sin is the end all. The moment I've made a mistake, I'm bad, or whatever that might be. But I, I recognize sin is not the end all. What happens because of sin? My feelings of, of, of self-worth and how I felt miserable about who I was. How I changed my viewpoint of Christ to this guy who didn't care about me, who didn't love me because of who I was, who wouldn't hear my prayers or know me. And in those moments, I changed Christ to this being of my mortality, uh, of something that this is who Christ is. But the moment I recognize Christ is not that, this is Christ. This is Christ. And the more that you study these, the more that you will know him, the more that you recognize him through the eyes of eternity, the more that you will know who he really is and what he desires. And what he desires is your happiness, not just now, but forever, even in the hardest moments. Um, and because of that, I have one other verse that I, I share with you first, John. Um, it's not one. But this verse, um, I think sometimes we misquote. First John chapter 3. Um, first John chapter 3, verse 2. I'm glad I marked it because I, I was like, where is it? Uh, first John chapter 3, verse uh, 2. Beloved, now are we not the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
I think far too often when we think about the gospel, we're like, we'll be like him because we'll finally see us as we are. That's not what it says. It says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him because we will fully recognize who he is. And that will help us fully recognize who we are. Guys, I, I, I plead with you to change your understanding of Jesus Christ. I plead with you to change your idea of what your plan looks like and trust in his plan for you. But that doesn't come on stepping back and just trusting that he will do something. Along, this, along my journey of my life, I, I can promise you this, I, I, I share some of the hard things. I have had incredible things happen as well. Things um, so incredible in my life. And if at any point those hard things took over from the eternal and awesome things, there are an infinite amount of points in my life that I could have given up. There are an infinite amount of points I could have stopped swimming in the middle of that lake and just drowned. And momentarily, it probably would have felt so much better than to swim and fight and endure and finally make. And at that moment, land isn't the end either. Then we keep going. And those journeys and those, those trials continue on. Um, I'll share with you where I'm at now. Um, now, um, throughout all the experiences that I've had, I love the Savior. I love the Savior. I'm not perfect. Far, far from it. In anything that I do. I'm not the perfect father. I'm not the perfect teacher. I'm not the perfect disciple of Christ. But I am trying. And I think that's enough. I think Heavenly Father is so okay with me just putting in effort. Um, I think your prophet has taught that plenty of times over the last little bit, and I hope you believe it. I hope you know it enough. I hope you love it enough to live it. Um, I, 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 I leave you with my testimony. Um, I am so infinitely aware that the Scriptures have changed my life. I know every morning or every day that I read the Book of Mormon, it helps me understand me. It helps me understand everything about my situation. It helps me find hope. It helps me find peace. The gospel is not something that brings me condemnation no matter how dumb I am or how fallen I've been. Every bit of it brings me peace. And I don't know why. Call it, call it a blessing of the Lord, but for some reason, I'm just not worried if I'm trying if I'm sincerely trying, I know that the Lord will help me. And I know that. I know that Jesus Christ lives. I know that he is there. I know that he knows you personally. He knows your plan. He knows your situation. He knows your life. He knows your failures up enough to change those failures into something incredible if you will allow them to. I know Heavenly Father lives. I know that same Heavenly Father is is. It's just up there cheering you on. I believe more in President Nelson at this time and what is coming than I have ever fully understood. Guys, President Nelson is not saying what he's saying on accident. His words are purposeful. If you will listen to them, if you will live them, it will make such a change in your life. Um, I promise you that. And uh, I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.